Welcome to the Trinity Galewood podcast. Here you'll find live messages recorded during our weekly services at Trinity. We are a community that desires to look, live, and love more like Jesus. We're located at 1701 North Narragansett in Chicago and meet every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Trinity Galewood podcast. All right, would you pray with me? Father, we, we thank you once again for... Uh, for this day, for the ability to be here and, and hear your word, um, especially this weekend as we are reminded of the sacrifices that many have made for the freedoms that we have in our nation. I pray, God, uh, that we too would be reminded of, of your sacrifice and be reminded of who you are and how you continue to work in this world. Open our eyes today by your spirit to see that a little bit more clearly today. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. A number of years ago, I uh, was on the hunt for a new uh, barber or hair stylist. And as you can see, that's kind of an important thing for me. All right? That was a joke. All right? And, uh, and so I was on this uh, hunt to go and find a new hair stylist. And in the process, I was in Knoxville, Tennessee, and uh, went to this hair salon and uh, had the typical conversation with this lady who had set me up to cut my hair. And she was asking the basic questions like, okay, what are you hoping for? What, what do you want to look like? All those sorts of stuff. And once we got past that, then there was that like awkward moment of trying to have conversation. You ever had one of these moments before? And so as we are in that moment, uh, she decides to kick off the conversation by saying, so, so what do you do for a living? And at the time, uh, I was a youth director working at a church in Knoxville, Tennessee, and I said, well, I, my job is to teach youth and kids about Jesus. And her response was kind of stunning to me. She was like, yeah, uh, I used to go to church as a kid, but honestly, I just couldn't keep up with all the rules. I was like, huh, interesting. What do you, what do you mean by that? Uh, she was like, yeah, these rules of like you have to dress a certain way, you have to be quiet most of the time, you can't question anything that the pastor says, and really, it's not all that much fun. It was more of a chore that I had to go to church. And I was thinking in my head as she was saying these things, I was like, man, talk about like controversy right off the bat here, all right? Uh, wondering like, what, why is that? I mean, how is this narrative true? That, that when we look at the life of Jesus, meaning following Jesus is found first with this understanding of here's all of these rules that I have to follow and that I can't have any questions and I certainly can't have any fun. See, what she was saying in that moment is that God has been seen as this boring, rule-driven, and not relevant God. And I got a feeling that she's not the only one that thinks that way. <laughs> I got a feeling that if somebody brought you along here today because it's your duty that you have to do, I I'm really happy that you're here, whether you're listening on the podcast here. Because my hope for today, as we continue the series of getting to know God more, I want you to see that God isn't just this, he isn't a boring, rule-driven, and not relevant God, but somebody who 
acts in some very beautiful ways. Last week, we started this series called Getting to Know God. And in this series, we are looking particularly at the Apostles' Creed. Uh, This creed that was given in the second century as a group of Christians came together and they said, how do we talk about who God is? And, And in that creed, what we mean by that is a creed is simply a statement of what we believe, teach, and confess. And so many years ago, this group of people got together and they formulated this statement that they believed, they taught, and they confess about who God is. And so last week, we looked at the first article of that creed, where we talked about that God is a father, that he is provider and preserver of everything in this world. He is the one who created everything, and he is still working in this world. And this is beautiful. And this leads us to the second part of the Apostles' Creed. Uh, this creed that was put together, and it says this. I want you to hear these words. In the second part of the creed, they wrote this. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. Some of you have maybe heard this statement before and you're reading it in cadence right now, right? Don't worry, we're going to say it here after the message. But as we talked about last week, the creed begins with this statement of that God is the provider and the creator of all that we can see. That with a simple breath, what we acknowledge is that that God is the one who has put everything into motion. But as that, that girl, as my barber had said, that, that sometimes we are in this battle, or shall I say most of the times we are in this battle, that while God is good in all that he creates, that we kind of rebel against it. That, that we like it, but we also kind of want it on our own terms, as we talked about last week. You maybe know the the story of how it goes. Genesis 1, God creates everything. Genesis 2, we get the narrative of how he created man and woman. And then in Genesis 3, we have what's known as the fall. This time where they rebel against God. The created rebels against the creator because they want to be the creator. This guy Gerhard Ferdy, a theologian, once said that while the fall is an appropriate understanding of what happened in Genesis 3, he says maybe a more accurate representation of that is the reach. Meaning that that we as human beings are trying to reach and be God. And we get confronted with this reality and frankly, we don't always enjoy it. I mean, I see this as as a pastor when I have been and have performed funerals before. I mean, I've seen this happen where where we have this moment of where we are are, are celebrating the life of of somebody who has passed. And and in that moment, what, what happens sometimes is people will come forward and they'll list off all of the accomplishments of that person that died. We'll say things like, you know, grandma, she was the most patient, loving person that there ever was. Yeah, unless she got cut off on North Avenue, right? 
Like some of you are looking around the room right now, right? Like we, we love to highlight those parts of who we are. And especially in those moments as we're celebrating somebody's life, we'll forget all of the brokenness. And this is my point here, is that we will immortalize the dead, choosing to remember only their achievements and not their brokenness. And so as a result, what happens is we fall victim to this reach. We fall victim to wanting to be God. And we're not. And that's actually good news. Because we don't have to pretend. We instead have a God who will reach down for us. Which is why the second article of the creed is so important. Hear these words again. Jesus' death and resurrection were for a purpose. This is the thing I want us to get here today. His death and resurrection were for a purpose so that I might stand and survive the judgment redeemed from the power of sin and death in my life. Because I am a victim of the reach, wanting to be God, I am in need of redemption and rescuing. And the second article of the creed, in fact, the word of God, as we'll look in Philippians 2 here, says that this is accomplished by Jesus in two stages. And so this is what I want to get to here today. There are two stages of how Jesus the Christ accomplishes this redemption, reversing the reach. And he does this in two ways. I hope that these are beautiful for you here today. The first one is this, that our God does this through humiliation. Hear these words, again, from the creed. They, they wrote this, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. See, when we get to know God, what we recognize is that in Jesus, our God becomes humiliated. He, he gets on our level. See, the God who created everything, as we talked about, is this mind-blowing moment. What's also mind-blowing is that while he created everything, he comes in at our level. He takes on flesh. He walks among us. Imagine that for a second. And see, this is a distinctive of what Christianity is compared to any other religion. See, other religions will talk about that to uh, become the divine means that I have to, to do all of the right things and achieve the next level. But instead, what we have with our God and, and Jesus is that our God comes off the throne and comes to us first. And, and this is incredible news, but it also comes with humiliation. Notice how Paul said it in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 7. He said, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He's saying, take on this mindset because Jesus, because he has given it to you, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of Man, See, our God is one who not only created everything, but he emptied himself, becoming the form of a servant. It's kind of like if you've had the encounter with like one of those little kids that came up for Kid Street, 
You, you know, like when you are having a conversation with, with just a little infant, you, you get on your knees and you, you whisper or you lisp so that they understand what you're saying. You get on their level, and this is what our God has done for us. Our God has come on to our level. As we talked about from this, uh, we read from this, this beautiful hymn by a guy named William Billings. He said this about, about our God. He said, seek not in courts and palaces nor royal curtain draw, but search the stable, see your God extended on the straw. What we have in, in our God is one who doesn't come down from heaven on some golden sleigh or some beautiful way, but instead he comes in the most humiliating way, extended on the straw in a house where, where it was, there was crowded and they weren't allowed to be in, but, but they made extra room for this young couple. I mean, just think about the irony and the beauty of what's going on here in this mo moment. God empties himself. He lowers himself. And Paul continues in Philippians, Philippians 2, verse 8. He says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. His humility wasn't just done for some kind of show. This isn't some like celebrity sighting of like, all right, now I'm going to come and sign a bunch of stuff and merchandise so that I feel better about myself. No, instead, what our God has done is he comes down on our level and he comes to the point of death, crucifixion for us. And this is beautiful. This is who our God is. As Paul would write in another place in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, for our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, our God takes on humiliation so that we can be made right with God. Now, see, if, if God is just one who takes on humiliation, if he just dies and is crucified, he's unlike any other person who sacrifices their life for something great. And while that deserves honor and respect, I mean, that's something that we're celebrating over this holiday weekend. We are celebrating those who have sacrificed their lives for the freedoms that we have. And, and we should say thank you to those who have given their life for the freedoms that we have. But what's different about Jesus is that he wasn't just a sacrifice. He also rose from the dead which leads to the second part here of how God accomplishes this. The two stages of who Jesus is, the son, is that not only is he humiliated, but he's exalted. He has a state of exaltation. Notice again from the creed, these words as they wrote. They said this, that he descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. It's kind of interesting. Theologians have argued about this for, for a while. But, but what's interesting is that in this statement that he descended into hell, is that humiliation or exaltation? And what a lot of theologians believe is that when Jesus, when he died on the cross, he went into hell and he had a victory parade. He went there to say, guess what? 
the good news is, is that I have, been, I have been the sacrifice and that there will be redemption from death. That this is not the end. That I have overcome sin, death, and the devil. And that would be found on that Easter morning when the tomb would be open. And he would be alive again. Notice Paul says this in, second, or in Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11. He says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, our Father. Amen. See, Jesus has conquered what we cannot conquer ourselves. Sin, death, and the devil. And we will be confronted with this over and over again in our lives. I can remember very vividly one time uh, that stands out for me where I saw this happen in real time. A number of years ago, many of you have maybe heard this story or lived this story with us, uh, but my uh, friend, Officer Williams from Joseph Levitt School next door, uh, somebody that I was just loving seeing how God was just working in his life. He wasn't a perfect human being. But, but what happened in 2017, at the end of the year, he was shot. And and miraculously had this recovery from a gunshot wound in his head. And this picture that I'm showing you here was uh, January 1st of 2018. We were downtown at Shirley Ryan Rehabilitation Center overlooking Lake Michigan. And we're working there. Dave was working on a speech therapy. Because in that moment, Dave, somebody who had a good job at the school, somebody who worked at Enterprise and other places too and was just a person who I didn't even know when he slept. He was just somebody that would go and grind and make the work happen all the time, was then confronted with brokenness and the reality that life wasn't gonna go how he necessarily wanted it to go. Anybody ever been there before? And so on this day, as we were having a conversation in his room, I remember him saying very specifically to me, Pastor Dave, he said, I'm not strong enough anymore. I can't, I can't go on any longer. Dave was facing the reality that, that half of his body would be paralyzed for probably the rest of his life. Somebody that was working multiple jobs now wasn't going to be probably working a job. Was confronted with the reality of that, wow, this is what life is going to be like. And I remember in that moment, as he uttered those words to me, I was like, crap, what do you say now? What do you say when we realize that we're not strong enough anymore? And honestly, what came out of my mouth was, exactly, we're not strong enough to overcome sin, death, and the devil. But instead, 
What we have is a God who says that I have come into this world and died for a purpose so that you and I might stand and survive that judgment redeemed from the power of sin and death in my life. Seven days later, Dave died. And, and I remember being at his funeral, and maybe some of you were there for that funeral, as hundreds and hundreds of people were there in that moment, I got to be reminded again that there is hope that is found in our Lord Jesus. And that there is brokenness that exists in our world. And so if I could go back to that lady at the hair salon in Knoxville, Tennessee, one that would say, you know, too many rules to follow, seems kind of boring and seems rather irrelevant, I would love to point to this very fact that Jesus is a God who is relevant in our lives, who is exalting in how he has overcome sin, death, and the devil, but is humble in his approach, and that he takes on flesh for us. He is everything that we need. We'll finish with these words from the psalmist because I think they're beautiful. Psalm 61, verses one through four. The psalmist says this, hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. <laughs> when I'm confronted with the reality of my brokenness, when I'm confronted with the reality of, of death, when I am confronted with the reality that I can't follow all the rules. Lead me to the rock that's higher than I, the psalmist says. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. I pray that as we get to know God more and more, I pray that we would teach, believe, and confess this good news that we have a redeemer, God who didn't just create everything that we have, but we also have a God who takes on humiliation but is exalted, that we have a God who accepts humiliation that we deserve and invites us to be a part of his exaltation. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for who you are and how you work in this world. And so, Lord, um, I'm thankful, Lord, that, that you are a God who has conquered sin, death, and the devil. And Lord, I, I know that, that we get confronted with brokenness in so many different ways inside of our world. Lord, I pray uh, that we would cling to your word, we would cling to the promises that you make, a promise of exaltation, one that in you comes with new life and a hope. And so Lord, I pray that that would be a message that we wouldn't just hold for ourselves, but something that we would share with others as, as those those people did thousands of years ago as they wrote a creed confessing who you are. 
I pray, Lord, that those words would be words that we would remind ourselves but share with others as well. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.